Welcome to BRSN's Amped, a podcast seeking to amplify the voices and highlight the experiences of underrepresented athletes at Cornell University. Each season of Amped is dedicated to the stories and perspectives of a different social identity group and their intersection with athletics. And this season, season two, is devoted to the experiences of female student-athletes on our campus and beyond. This first episode is hosted by a Cornell graduate and former member of the Cornell women's hockey and lacrosse teams, Finley Frischette. Lester is a trailblazing female leader in sports law. Pam serves as the president of her own company, Lester Sports and Entertainment, which provides consulting services relevant to licensing and merchandising, management and representation, marketing, special events, and television. Prior to launching her own firm, Pam worked for HBO on the platform's most popular shows, as well as in private practice, working on deals for major tournaments like Wimbledon and the World Cup. And former three-sport collegiate athlete, Pam has continued her competitive pursuits as a member of the U.S. women's over-60 field hockey team. Throughout her professional career, Pam has served as an influential thought leader on empowering athletes and female professionals alike. So Pam, thank you so much for joining AMPS today. Thank you, Finley. It's so nice to be here. So nice to be asked. Yes, of course. So I I know that my introduction was pretty lengthy, but I do not think that it did your work justice. So would you mind walking us through your career path? Uh, Sure. And and I I think I'll start with before my I I started my first job offers because I I speak to so many young lawyers and 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 law students and even undergrads interested in sports. And so I actually have a cautionary tale. (laughs) And that's uh, when I was in law school. I ended up, well, I first started working at an admiralty firm, which uh, does, is shipping, and that did not interest me. So I ended up taking a job as the squash and racquetball pro at the Vertical Club in New York City. And there, you know, I, I wanted, to, actually, I had my first two job offers. One of them was very funny, but I used, to, I used to teach squash to a man who owned the largest super tankers in the world. And wow. he actually offered me a job as general counsel of his company, even though I was in law school. And uh, you know, he told me that he would he would hire me, I think, for $42,000 a year, which was equivalent to the, the salaries that the big firms were paying at the time, yeah. um, provided that I continued to teach him and, and his son squash and play tennis with him on the weekend. So I figured... <laughs> This is a job that came with fringe benefits that I didn't want. So that, of course, I turned it, you know, turned down right away. And, and you know, the lesson there is, you know, if it's too good to be true, you know, yeah. caution. And the other thing is that the, the men's uh, pro tennis te- tour was practicing at the vertical club for the season ending Masters Championship at Madison Square Garden. <clears throat> and so I, you know, I met a number of professional tennis players and told them I wanted to be a sports agent. And one of them referred me to his agent who offered me a desk and a chair and 25% of whatever I could bring in for men's and women's tennis. And I figured, yep, I mean, I love math. And I realized, you know, 25% of zero still can be zero. I didn't know anything about the business and, and I turned that down. And you know, this, is, this is the actual cautionary tale that um, ultimately, you know, after I'd been in business for eight or nine years, he was indicted for stealing money from his clients. And wow. I think that the most important thing that we all have is our reputations, you know, our, our professional reputations, personal reputations. And so I, I've talked to so many over the years who just want to enter sports and take any job they can. And I think that it's so important to make sure that wherever you work is going to reflect favorably on you as well. And it's tough too, when you come in brand new and, and don't know anything about the business. So, so um, 
So anyway, I didn't take that job. I ended up going to work for Advantage International, which was one of the big sports agencies at the time. Yeah, you know, I had interviewed with IMG and ProServe and ProServe split in two. And I went to Advantage because it was brand new. And I figured there's more opportunity for growth. And I'd also been told that at, at ProServe, they just look for women to host their tournaments in Vermont. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just a revolving door. And I had it, you know, from the inside, from one of the from one of the pro tennis players who said, you know, probably not the greatest place. Um, and then with IMG, I had actually asked uh, career services in my law school for the, uh, you know, the address so I can write for a job. And I wrote to the general counsel and I was turned down. But I then wrote to Mark McCormick, who was the, you know, the founder of IMG, mm-hmm. and told him about my sports background, how I wanted to work in sports. Right. And then I got an interview. So, you know, my lesson there is if you want something, just don't give up yeah. and there are ways to go about it. So in any event, I went to work for Advantage and I spent about six years there representing professional tennis players. I had a squash player, a figure skater. I, I did the drafting of the NBA contracts, not the actual money negotiation yeah. and left there uh, and went to a large law firm where I worked on a Steinbrenner investigation and something for Pittsburgh Penguins. And that was, I was to say that was a, uh, one day that lasted a year because I never went home. And uh-huh. then I went to my next startup, which was Time Warner Sports, which is a, a division of, of HBO. And they had intended to um, buy a sports agency. I actually talked them out of it, saying that would make it too difficult to do deals with the athletes if you, with the other Time Warner companies because of a conflict of interest. And so after that, I had most of my time spending uh, there on pay-per-view boxing. I have to say I'm not a boxing fan. <laughs> and... And then I actually wrote the business plan for HBO Properties, which I pattern after the major league properties organizations and started licensing and merchandising businesses for HBO, where I licensed HBO Sports and also um, Sopranos and Sex in the City. And then I um, stayed home with my son in 2000. And that's when I went out on my own and spent most of my, my time doing outside counsel work for the, for the women's golf tour, the LPGA. And then since then, I've just you know, done various things, but um, <laughs> just been busy with family yeah. and, and uh, you know, and not as active. And now I'm actually thinking what I, you know, what am I going to do next? Mm-hmm. So it's just, you know, it's never too late. Yeah. Well, that's a very impressive career path and you kind of knew what you wanted and had a bunch of different stepping stones. So thank you for sharing that with us. Um, the next question I have is going back to your past playing sports and being an athlete Um, growing up, what were the biggest challenges that you faced playing sports, either in your youth, youth sports career in high school and even in college? Well, definitely for me, it was, you know, absolutely the inequities, you know, starting with my own family, my, my mom would drive my brothers to ice hockey practice at five in the morning. And yet when I was in, uh, you know, middle school, I actually was pretty good at field hockey. And my coaches invited me to play with an association team with their team, which is post-college. And I went one game and held my own, my mom wouldn't let me go. <laughs> and, you know, she said, my brothers needed it, but I don't. And so that, you know, that was very frustrating. Mm-hmm. And then I was actually the first co-ed class at, at Amherst College. And um, yeah, and it was night, I entered fall of 1976. Mm-hmm. So Title IX was, you know, had just started. Yeah. And we were treated substantially different than the guys, differently. My, my freshman year, we were, we went to New England at UVM, University mm-hmm. of Vermont. And they put us up at the Burlington, in Burlington, Vermont, at the Sandman's Motel, six to a room, which meant three women to a bed. And they would never, I mean, you know, I couldn't imagine them putting guys two to a bed, let alone three. Yeah. It was like a scene from, um, 
uh, Willy Wonka, you know, the grandparents, all in the same bed, you know, yeah. same friends together, trying not to touch anyone, trying, you know, not sleeping. It was, that was ridiculous. We got $5 a night for, McDo- uh, for a meal at McDonald's. And, uh, you know, and the, the football team got steak dinners before their, you know, before their games. And so it, it was very, um, you know, very frustrating. I know when I went to, uh, I don't remember which year, but nationals for squash one year was, uh, we're at Penn mm-hmm. and my coach was actually the men's soccer coach. And he thought it was inappropriate for a male to, to travel with a woman. And so he sent me down Smith college team and you know, they and their coach were lovely, but I had to leave at five in the morning on the day of my 10 a.m. match. And I had no coach and I was at nationals by myself. So, you know, I, and I, I lacked, I mean, nowadays they're sports psychologists. I think I probably could have benefited from that, (laughs) but um, yeah, things were definitely different. I mean, even it was, I mean, to be fair, I was the first year of co-education at at Amherst and they had all the teams and, Mm -hmm. you know, even our, our clothing, you know, we, uh, for squash, we, we were, uh, we, we had men's shorts. So of course you had to fit the hips. My, you know, the waist stuck out like six inches. And and, uh, ironically, um, you know, where I was living as an adult, when I had my son outside of Princeton, where the U S women's and men's at the time rowing team trained, Mm -hmm. I had a bunch of the rowers, you know, help with dog walking and babysitting my son because I was working from home. And the amazing thing is that, um, I think the Olympics in Beijing that the women were outfitted with men's rowing gear from Nike as well. So (laughs) as recently as that. So, uh, yeah, so I I would say that, um, you know, it's just frustrating because I really, I mean, I love sports. And when I was little, I, my friends would come over to play and I would subject them to one-on-one field hockey in the front yard, whether they like, (laughs) I I set up hurdles in the backyard and just, I don't think I was a good hurdler, but I loved them. I did over and over again, but you know, in my family, sports weren't valued. And it was all like, you know, of course, you know, this is just something you do when you're young. Right. Right. Opportunities now. And I, and I know that there continue to be huge inequities, Mm -hmm. but they're also, you know, much greater opportunities. And, And I think that, you know, one thing that's changed maybe to the detriment is that there's no longer an ability to play three collegiate sports that mm-hmm. everyone's so specialized, you know, which is great when you love the sport, but it leads to, you know, to injury. And I think athletes just become sort of fungible assets, yeah. you know, commodities. Yeah. So. Well, I, I always like to say that I'm the athlete that I am because I grew up playing kind of every single sport. And I am one of the rare exceptions that have been able to play two division one sports in college. And I, think that I learn a lot by playing lacrosse and it translates to hockey. And also just mentally, if I'm sort of, if I had a bad day on the rink, I can go and play wall ball. Or if I didn't do great in lacrosse practice, I can go and shoot around in hockey and it's a nice break. And, and it's something that a lot of people don't have now. And people are, people are specializing when they're 12 years old, but I don't know if that's necessarily the right way to go because you still want to have your passion and desire to do better when you, when you do get there. Um, but something you said, so I know we've come a long way since you were, um, sleeping three per bed and getting your $5 McDonald's meals for McDonald's. But when you were at Amherst and in your time, did anyone ever speak up and say, Hey, you deserve better, or maybe this isn't right. Or did that sort of come after you graduated that you've been looking at from the outside? I, no one spoke up and, uh, you know, and, and. It, it was a strange time anyway, the first year of coeducation. I don't think right. they were quite ready for it. And, uh, you know, there are other opportunities just in order to field teams. I ran a cross country uh, race once because we had a fabulous runner who won New England, but she, mm-hmm. it was just her. And I remember someone tripped and I helped them up you know, for the other team. I was like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <You> know, but, <laughs> 
So, um, you know, and, and actually, you know, the interesting thing is I, I did, as I mentioned to you before we started the podcast, I did a podcast with uh, Nona Lee, who's a general counsel of Diamondbacks, mm-hmm. who was a sports lawyer association president, I, I think it was 20 years after I was elected. Mm-hmm. And, and also Allison Rich, who works at Princeton Athletic Department, who's mm-hmm. coming in now. But Nona and I had the same comment that if we look back on our careers, and the same thing goes for you know, playing sports, that we didn't feel that we had the ability to speak up. I mean, we had the ability, but it would have been dangerous. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, looking back, she and I said the exact same thing that, you know, if I had done it all over again, I would have spoken up more Mm -hmm. and asked for more and not accepted it. But the fact is that, for example, I think the squash coach, um, who was also the men's soccer coach, he was also the AD. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it was hard for him to understand, you know, he said, oh, well, well, you know, everyone's going to elect Pam captain anyway, so we'll make her captain. And I just thought that, yeah, it took away from the honor. That yeah. wasn't, you know, that wasn't right. But you know, they just, did, they didn't know. They, they treated the women with kid gloves and didn't think we were capable. Right. And uh, so it was, it was frustrating. Yeah. And I think speaking up, you know, in the right way is important. Yeah, I think we've come a long way from that, but there's still a long way to go um, as well. So my next question is sort of the same frame but um, what are the biggest challenges that you've faced in the sports business industry today? Um, because it is still very male dominated and sort of in your, your daily life. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, what I, what I see with, with other women in sports is that they're, they're starting to be, you know, there's certainly more women. I mean, I know when I go to the sports lawyers association annual meetings every year mm-hmm. that, you know, we move from a handful of women to, to maybe 40 or 50% at times. It, it right. depends, but I know the same frustrations exist in terms of being given positions of authority mm-hmm. or I, and I, I also hear a lot of women, uh, you know, concerned about being offered a position because they're a woman or someone's offered a position because they're a person of color. And in my view on that, and is, you know, if you're given an opportunity, take it. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the entity's problem and that's that person's problem. But for you, if you're given, you know, sports is all about recognizing opportunities for your clients and for yourself. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and I, I think that, uh, you know, there, there's more um, awareness of the issues, but I, but I think too, that it's, it's really a question of, of seeing these opportunities and, and taking advantage of them and, and trying, you know, trying to change that culture and move away from the stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, has there ever been an instance in your professional career where you felt like you were treated differently because you were a female in these meetings or, um, or anything of the sort because of your gender in this career path you chose? Well, I could say long ago, I, I was, um, when I was a young lawyer and I was at Advantage, we had an issue with a client. Uh, you know, a top tennis player who had, I mean, she was very young. She was signed um, by one of the offices in, in Europe. And I think, I think, as I recall, she probably wanted to move on to a different agency. And so we were going to have a, a, um, a deposition of my boss. I had never done a deposition. You know, I, I had the federal rules of evidence. I was so nervous. And he was from a big law firm and he showed up with his associate in the newspaper because, you know, there's always like the, the partner makes a big show of just reading yeah. the newspaper, let the associate do their thing. And I walked into, into the um, conference room, you know, holding my federal rules of evidence, extremely nervous. And he asked me to get him a cup of coffee. And I said, you know, sure. Do you want milk or sugar? You know, because yeah. my mom taught me to be polite and I would do that for anyone, even today. Yeah. So I went to get, you know, I got him coffee and his associate and I brought it back. And then I sat down across the table from him and he was so surprised that I was the lawyer and not the receptionist or someone's mm-hmm. assistant. And, uh, wow. 
And you know, and the funny thing is, he was so impressed by that, which I would still do today because yeah. I was just being polite. But um, he, he they actually, after the we ended up settling, we never had the deposition, luckily. And uh, <laughs> and and he offered me a job on the spot, you know, at his law firm. But I wanted to stay in sports, so you know, those types of things happen. And and but the fact is, I would say that uh, you know, and I, and I speak about negotiation daily on on Clubhouse now. Yeah. And. and uh, I never really had a problem negotiating across the table with someone because what could they do, right? right. I mean, people make comments, but you know, I had authority. I had the deal. My biggest negotiations were day to day in my in you know, with my employers mm-hmm. to be seen, to be taken seriously, you know, and, and uh, to be in, invited to meetings, included in meetings. I, I mean, mm-hmm. back in the I graduated from law school in 1983, and and things were very different. And uh, you know, I probably could have you know make an HR comedy show of all the things that happened to me. Yeah. Uh, so that would, I would say that was the the biggest issue was being taken seriously, and also because I didn't communicate like the men, you know, mm-hmm. I did, I don't yell. I don't swear. I used to when I was little, cause it could make my little brother cry, but you know, <laughs> I, I grew out of that, but um, you know, and, and even when I was in the boxing world at, um, you know, at, at Time Warner, Time Warner sports, you know, the, the um, negotiations would, you know, it was like theater. I mean, people right. really upset. And then afterwards they, they'd be, you know, showing off what so-and-so said to each other. And I just never raised my voice. I never yeah. swore back. I mean, I probably internal, you know, I know I internalize it all, mm-hmm. but I was, Light and professional, and sometimes that's seen as as not being tough. But mm-hmm. I actually think that's you know that's being tougher. You don't have to speak out just to say something. Yeah. yeah, that's very true. Very very true. So, what advice do you have to females who are looking to enter the sports world, regardless of what role, just whatever role, but in sports? And you know, what should they look out for and prepare for? I think um, first of all, to be confident and be yourself. And I, you know, I, I've list, I've spoken to so many women who are concerned about you know, how they present in negotiation that they're not being taken seriously. I've heard all sorts of bizarre advi- advice, like, okay. you know, don't be aggressive or lower your voice so someone listen to you. And mm-hmm. and I truly believe that you need to be yourself, whoever you are, right. and that you know, have your eyes open, have that thick skin because things will happen, but don't let it bother you. Be be confident, be self confident. I truly believe that being underestimated is huge leverage in your favor mm-hmm. because you know what you're capable of and they think you don't know. And, right. you know, and, and, you know, I've always said that my, I think my role model for negotiation was more like, um, I don't know if you'll be familiar, but Peter Falk and Columbo in the, in the TV show, he's a detective in a ruffled <laughs> raincoat. And he's, oh, you know, what is that up there? Is that a vent? Is yeah. That a vent? And the guy standing next to him would say, Oh no, that's where I hid the stolen artwork. You know, and, and, <laughs> And so I think, you know, being patient and also recognize, as I said earlier, recognizing opportunities, you know, they're all around yeah. you. And if you don't get that sports job to begin with, you know, one thing leads to another. So build, build your network, mm-hmm. uh, you know, see if you get informational interviews, see if you can attend professional association meetings. I know the Sports Lawyers Association, uh, we actually have a meeting next week, but uh, law students and undergrads go to the meetings. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the funds to pay, you know, there's usually a student rate, but if even that's too expensive, you can usually ask for a, um, you know, that a discount or be able to attend for free. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and in sports, you know, deal-making is all about seeing these opportunities. So I would do that too. And then also, as I said earlier, just be careful about who you work for. I mean, yeah. don't be so desperate to get into sports that you work for anyone. Mm-hmm. And once you're out of school, don't work for free unless you're working for a nonprofit. I mean, t- treat your own career with the respect that you would treat yes. your clients. 
So, uh, and it's not too early to start making contacts. And, you know, there's so many sports is more than being a sports agent. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just, you know, there's, there, uh, you can work for a sponsor, you can uh, do PR, you broadcast mm-hmm. and, you know, insurance, immigration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's an entire industry. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think that no matter what you do, I mean, even engineering, I think my son has a friend who's going to work for Adidas after graduation, mm. a mechanical engineer. So, you know, if you love sports, there, there are plenty of opportunities if you just open your eyes. Mm-hmm. And there's a book that um, maybe the colleges have called Sports Marketplace. It's mm-hmm. expensive. You probably go online too, but you can look up every possible sports entity in, oh, wow. in the country and probably in the world. And just flipping through the book, it might give you some ideas of things that you haven't thought about. Yeah. Well, I, I wrote that book down just now and I'm going to go look for it. <laughs> but um, I think another another thing that I've always been told um, in my networking calls and everything is, um, especially in this male dominated environment, is believing in yourself. Because if if you don't believe in yourself, then how can you expect anyone else to believe what you're saying or want to listen to you? Um, and then I think that feeds into what you were saying about being confident, being yourself. Um, the first step is to believe you can do it. And then the confidence will come. Um, And then I guess the final question I have for you is what are your thoughts on females in sports and sports business who are trying to achieve equality? And what is your personal role in doing this? Well, I have to say my personal role, um, you know, I think my career to me has been very frustrating because I didn't you know, I didn't reach what I wanted to reach. For example, once I was, I was interviewed for the CEO of the women's tennis tour and they asked me if I was trying to get pregnant. Oh my <laughs> so, goodness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, you know, so many things like that. So I think what I'm proudest of um, is the fact that I have mentored, you know, many, I mean, that there are many you know, lawyers in sports from, you know, all walks of, of life and backgrounds mm-hmm. who consider me their mentor. And so I, I continue to make myself available. I'm happy to talk or correspond by email and, um, you know, and, and help where I can. And, uh, you know, and certainly through the, the professional associations that I'm involved with, you know, mm-hmm. trying to, to create opportunities, which I've always, you know, always done for speaking, you know, for example, speaking on panels. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, that's important too. And I, I think for, for others, you know, in the sports world, it's, it's to help, you know, do the same thing, help each other out, give each other a leg up mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and, and, and just never give up. You know, I would say that that's what I learned from negotiating. You know, once I had a kid, it was all about you know being relentless, advocating in school, and yeah. knowing how to negotiate. But I just never give up. I mean, perseverance, no matter what you face. If this is what you want, you should pursue it, and pursue it in the way that you don't compromise your values. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for pushing through these boundaries because, as I said before, we still have a long way to go in all of these things, but. Um, compared to your stories, um, my experience was much, much different. And I hope if I'm ever interviewed for a podcast in however many years, um, we're talking about how what I went through was so crazy. And it's because of women like you, you know, that open these doors for me. And I hope one day I can open doors for other people. But um, speaking for everyone, I think listening to this podcast, I really appreciate it and everything that you've done. Well, thank you, Finley. I can't wait to see what you accomplish and and all of your teammates. (laughs) I'm sure there are great things in your future.